while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Chris will be back later in the week. Got a good show uh, planned for you ahead. Um, again, I want to thank Naomi Carney for coming in yesterday. Uh, I think was very straight, gave uh, very straightforward answers uh, to the questions that we had about the city council walkout uh, in, the, in the last meeting that she chaired. The pay raise vote um, that I thought was interesting. She said she'd reconsider. Um, and I don't know if uh, any other counselors are, are thinking that same way. If, I know Brad Markey said he, he when he was here last week, he would reconsider it as well. And I know there's other counselors that may be leaning that way. Uh, the ones that have responded, uh, at least, I've reached out to think all of them thus far. But the appointments and briefings meeting is tonight, actually. Uh, our new contributor, Adam Bass, he's going to, he's at the council, he's in the meeting at the council chambers, uh, which is great uh, that we have somebody covering that again. And he's going to be there. I believe he's going to call in at eight, eight, around eight or eight thirty, you know, whenever it gets out, uh, whenever that meeting ends, it could be, you know, it could be longer. There's a lot on the agenda, but. I'm not sure what time that ended, but he told me he's expecting to call in around 8, 8.30. So we're looking forward to hearing from Adam Bass and getting live updates from that city council meeting. A lot of uh, really key appointments on that agenda, including, I think, the one that was probably um, most discussed by Councilor Carney and by Councilor Burgo, which is the appointment of Carol Pimentel to the Vote Tech School Committee, uh, which, you know, is obviously important because there are... Uh, admission standards that were handed down by the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Sometime last year, Mayor Mitchell had led the charge on that statewide to change those admission standards. And I remember Councilor Burgo saying uh, Vogue, uh, Tech's noncompliance with those admission standards could result in a lawsuit at some point. So that's that's one of the key appointments that we're looking at. Obviously, the licensing board appointment, too, uh, is one that was talked about as well. Ricardo Resendiz to the licensing board. So we'll uh, we'll be tracking that and we'll be giving you an update. But I'll be taking your calls at 508-996-0500 this evening or I'll take your messages on the WBSM app chat. It was a big day for the South Coast. Um, it was a big day for Massachusetts because... 
Um, it was a big day for Massachusetts because Governor Maury Healy, Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll, made their first out-of-office visit as Governor, Lieutenant Governor. This was their first official visit as Governor, Lieutenant Governor, and they decided to come to the South Coast for that visit. Now, Healy was here last week in Taunton. I talked about that a little bit. It was for... It was a pre-inaugural event, so it was put on by her inaugural committee when she was still governor-elect, and uh, Driscoll was still lieutenant governor-elect, but this was them as the top executives in the Commonwealth heading a roundtable at UMass Dartmouth. UMass Dartmouth is, uh, is you know, doing a lot of, it's not just obviously a great school, but they do a lot of, um, they're also an industry leader in, in marine tech, and so they're doing a lot there, and so it was important that they came down here to, uh, I think, had their first discussion, um, their first open forum on the issue of, uh, you know, the climate crisis. Uh, I'm an alum of UMass Dartmouth, if you guys didn't know. Uh, the law school, UMass Law, is a is part, it's the official UMass Law School, but it is part of the UMass Dartmouth system. It is a school within UMass Dartmouth. The campus isn't on the main campus. It's off uh, on uh, Fonts Corner Road near the um, near the House of Correction, and um, you know it's where I got my education. That's where Hugh Dunn got his education. That's where Chris Hendricks got his education, right? As UMass Law, and of course, when it was Southern New England School Law, Chris Markey went there as well. Uh, there's a lot of members of the DA's office that went there. Obviously, very important institution for for local policymakers here and UMass Dartmouth in general is a very important institution for policymakers as well obviously that's why Healy and Driscoll decided to head a climate roundtable here it was an interesting discussion you had obviously besides uh, governor and lieutenant governor the chancellor Mark Fuller of uh, UMass Dartmouth I spoke with him he's looking forward to joining us in the program sometime um, and uh, that'll be a really good discussion that I'm looking forward to um, as far as elected officials go Obviously, Mayor Mitchell was there, uh, Mayor Coogan in Fall River, um, Chris Markey, state rep in Dartmouth, uh, Paul Schmid, state rep in Westport, Senator Mark Montigny was there. So a lot of local electeds and power players there, uh, and they were also uh, the top, uh, some of Healy's cabinet officials, including the climate chief, um, the newly minted position of climate chief. Now, Keeley's very first day in office, there was a lot of discussion during Healy's campaign of, you know, trying to nail down some more specifics, like, hey, what are you going to do? What exactly are you going to do for this, that, and the other thing? And the first, the, the very first thing she did when she uh, had her press conference, her first press conference as governor, she was inaugurated on Thursday in the state house and had an inaugural ceremony at TD garden in Boston, you know, nod to their, uh, careers as, uh, collegiate basketball players. But the very first, um, thing she did was create a cabinet level position of climate chief. And uh, also created a, an office of climate innovation and resilience, which is going to be under the go- the governor's office. The climate chief position is is uh, the uh, the very first of its kind in the country, and it is uh, it is currently 
staffed by Melissa Hoffer. Melissa Hoffer worked, I believe, in the Attorney General's Office in Environmental Law and left her position at the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, as it's commonly known in the federal government, to be the climate chief. And I think what the, you know, I was listening to a podcast in Commonwealth Magazine from the, uh, uh, you know, Jeff Roy, the, the chair of the Environment, uh, Environmental Energy Committee in the House and the Senate Environmental and Energy Committee chair as well. And they were just talking about um, how it's the, the position, position of climate chief. They, they said Baker's been good on climate issues, but, but the position of climate chief um, is a step forward in making sure that whatever, you know, what the workings of the governor's office, the, the the various cabinet level departments, the Department of Education, Department of Public Safety, the Department of Public Health, etc., are keeping in mind, um, you know, more climate, you know, climate resilient and sustainable practices, so that we can try to move forward, and uh, you know, we can try to move forward in an era where we are seeing, you know, un- unprecedented um, climate-related catastrophes, droughts, snowstorms in Texas, um, et cetera, uh, forest fires, and all of that. And so it was really, it was really cool. They, they had, uh, it was, you know, there was UMass faculty there, obviously, other than the chancellor. And there were UMass, uh, there were UMass Dartmouth grad students. Um, there was a, uh, a woman who was a student there. She was a graduate student. And she talked about how she's looking to, um, you know, create a, uh, I think, um, biofuel out of shellfish waste which I thought was really cool. There was another one that had done some work in the Arctic. So a lot of really interesting stuff. And afterwards, you know, we got to talk to her for a little bit and she had basically talked about how, you know, and we've talked about this a lot, how with offshore wind, because there was a lot of discussion about alternative energies, right? There was, you know, wave energy conversion. How can they use the energy from, you know, the uh, the tides to create uh, an alternative, uh, re- you know, alternative fuel sources? And there was also discussion on. There was also discussion on um, the. I mean, what really dominated the the discussion was the. Okay. What really dominated the discussion was offshore wind. Obviously, offshore wind's big down here. Uh, Mayor Mitchell has been one of the leading proponents of offshore wind. Our members of Congress, Jake Auchincloss and Bill Keating, they've been major uh, advocates for offshore wind in Congress and getting federal dollars here to make that a reality. Senator Warren, Senator Markey as well. And uh, a lot of that is centered around what's happening down in the port of New Bedford. Now there has been some snags. Obviously, uh, DP. There was um, Commonwealth Wind and Mayflower Wind had some issues with their uh, with their some of the agreements that they had had. Uh, you know, but with um, with some of the agreements they had the uh, the you know the power purchase agreements, but the Department of Public Utilities had um, basically decided, hey, you know. Um, 
tough stuff. You, you're going to go forward with the power purchasing agreements that you agreed upon, the 20-year power purchase agreements, and it looks like they're on track as well. Vineyard Wind never seemed to have an uh, have an issue. By the way, we did have we did have um, Dana Ribeiro and Dan Kent. Dana Ribeiro, as you remember, is a former Ward Four City Councilor. She. Um, she and she and Mr. Kent talked about a job fair that's happening at uh, the Andre McCoy Recreation Center on Hillman Street. That is the twelfth. Which what's today? That's in a couple of days, isn't it? Yep, it is this Thursday, the twelfth, from three to seven p.m. And there's, I think they said about a hundred some odd jobs that are. Um, that they are showcasing there. Some of them, I think they said like at least a third of them are ready to go. Like you can go and apply for a job. And if you get the job, you can begin working. And others that are in development. So there's a lot of job opportunities coming off the ground with that. There's, of course, the National Offshore Wind Institute that's been, um, that has been fostered by Bristol Community College. Uh, they had a tour of that last year um, with all the members of the delegation uh, that were there. And uh, that's going to be a big deal, too, in training people for jobs in offshore wind uh, so that, you know, they can work towards having, uh, you know, uh, long, long, uh, upwardly mobile careers in a burgeoning industry, not just here in the South Coast, but really nationally. Um, offshore wind has been something that's been uh, championed in Europe. Um, and, you know, I think everybody is in the position now. I remember this came up. I remember this came up when uh, when Texas had um, had Texas had had their uh, their their um, power grid catastrophe and it was for a lot of other it was for a lot of reasons that their their um their power grid failed what the reason really wasn't was uh wind turbines wind turbines only made up about 15 percent of their grid um the rest of it was really just more it was more it was more uh the privatization of that grid in the in the in the in the <laughs> uh the privatization of that grid and uh in the um you know uh, the failure for them to prepare for um, catastrophic events like this. But the point is, I don't think anybody's under the impression that offshore wind is going to be a cure-all uh, for alternative energy. But what they what they are saying is that it's going to, you know, it is going to be part of a broader plan to, you know, try to get as, you know, try to wean our energy economy as much off of fossil fuels as possible considering it's not it's a finite uh growingly expensive and environmentally destructive resource uh, at this juncture so no one's saying that you know wind turbines are going to power our entire grid at this juncture right but it's going to help and it's going to help the local economy not just new bedford but the surrounding communities fairhaven dartmouth westport um, you know the the whole South Coast, et cetera, Fall River, et cetera, um, to you know uh, be at the ground floor of of an entirely new industry with uh, entirely new jobs. So I think what's cool is this not only you know underscores the Healy and Driscoll administration's commitment to climate climate resiliency in general, 
but it also, I think, underscores their commitment to the South Coast. Now, you know, I think Charlie Baker was ended up being pretty good for the South Coast. There was, there's always a lot of talk that the South Coast doesn't get as much recognition or as much uh, resources as they should. And I think, you know, for, for many years that has been true. We are starting to see a lot more recognition and investment and development down here. Obviously, you've got the state peer bid that's going to transform the state peer into a, you know, mixed use commercial and uh, commercial and um, retail, uh, retail environment down there. $80 million by the Baker Polito administration on their way out is going to be invested in New Bedford's port. Uh, so we're getting South Coast Rail uh, sometime in this year. It's coming this year, finally. In the uh, in, It's expected to land here in November, obviously. People may have seen the platforms in Freetown completed and, you know, Governor Baker and a lot of the members of the delegation taking the train from uh, Boston down to uh, down to Freetown. So we'll we'll be able to start doing that here in New Bedford and Fall River. And, uh, you know, instead of going to Middleborough or slash Lakeville, actually, can somebody tell me where exactly the train is? They always say Middleborough Lakeville. Is it in Middleborough or is where is it? Where is that train officially? Is it in Middleborough or is it in Lakeville? I think it's Lakeville. But either way, you won't have to drive 20, 25 minutes, half hour to Middleborough slash Lakeville uh, for the train service. You can actually just get on the train uh, down in New Bedford and it'll be, you know, a quick 10 minute drive. So I do think that that the the Baker Polito administration ended up being pretty good for the South Coast. And I think that the Healy Driscoll administration is is continuing to is going to continue and build uh, on that commitment. So this is the twice. This is the second time they've been here in two weeks. Uh, first time officially as governor and lieutenant governor. And it was their very first out of office visit as governor and lieutenant governor. And that's a big deal. I mean, this is one of the defining, this is one of the early defining moments, uh, defining, um, yeah, moments of their administration. And they chose down here, uh, you know, in Dartmouth as the stage for that, um, you know, to make a lot of uh, statewide news on their commitment to um, climate resiliency. So really, really important. And uh, I was there today, obviously. There was a lot of local um, uh a lot of local members of the media there, uh, friends of the show. I saw Will Senat there and uh, of, of the New Bedford Light. I saw Ted Nisi there from WPRI, uh, who was just on a couple of weeks ago. Had a really fun seg- uh, segment with him. And uh, we got to talk to them afterwards. And, you know, Healy was basically saying that, you know, because I talked about I asked her, you know, if, if, um, if, you know, do you see any more trepidation with uh, any of these power sharing agreements or any of the offshore wind development afterwards? And she's like, no, we've got to move forward with this. It's too important uh, for not just this region, but really for the state. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, one of the conversations they had, because I think there's a lot of, you know, people who aren't proponents of alternative energy or industries surrounding alternative energy have always said, you know, that it it's, it stands in the way of economic growth and economic uh, economic growth and economic development. Lakeville, but it's legit on the line. That's what uh, Tim Weisberg told me. So, thank you, Tim. Uh, economic growth and economic development 
Um, but a lot of the conversation today was how those two, those two features, um, you know, are not in conflict, you know, alternative energy and economic development, but are really necessary, uh, you know, have a necessary symbiotic relationship, you know, basically they, we need offshore wind and we need developments in marine tech to move forward, not only, you know, to create a better environment for us and the people that, you know, the world that we're leaving behind for future generations, but um, for, you know, the growth and in, in, in development of, of our economy and the economy more, uh, more broadly. So 508-996-0500 is how you can get the program. I also took a chance to show Mari Healy uh, a picture, actually, of the last time she was last. I don't know if it was the last time she was there. I'm sure she was there m- multiple times uh, during, her, she was, uh, during her eight years as attorney general. But I'd actually met Mari Healy when I was a 3L at UMass Law. There was a Mince Levin. Uh, Mince Levin's a big law firm in Boston. They'd put on a uh, LGBTQ um an lgbtq uh um bar event at uh up in the north end in boston and i went i was a member of outlaw which is the lgbtq organization uh not that i'm uh gay myself but because you know it was during the time that uh it was during the time that uh, those Supreme Court cases, those uh, the gay marriage cases, the Doma case and all of that, Windsor and Obergefell would be there eventually, but were in the Supreme Court. And it was really at the forefront of the conversation. And so I felt pretty passionate about it, obviously. And I had a, you know, my aunt uh, was, um, you know, my aunt uh, is a, was in a same-sex relationship and was until the day she died. And, uh, you know, I'd heard stories from my mom about how she was picked on, how she was ostracized for it when they were kids. And so that that, that movement really um, galvanized me uh, in terms of, you know, in, in I think uh, in terms of, of getting active and trying to get involved in those conversations. So um, I showed her a picture, and I see your calls on the line. We're going to get to them in a second at 508-996-0500. I showed her that picture. And it was uh, a bunch of us, including actually Audra Riding, who was who works uh, in Senator Montigny's office. Uh, a bunch of us uh, UMass law students with uh, then Attorney General candidate Moore Healy uh, eight years ago at UMass in the spring of 2014. So that was really fun, uh, and and um, I really um, uh, she enjoyed the picture, and so it was uh, it was cool. But five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can join us. Let's go to the phones. We got calls on the line. Good evening. Uh, sure, say good afternoon or good uh, good night. I don't know. I'm losing now. Uh, What's going on? How you doing, Marcus? I'm I'm doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, I got, I got more. Well, I'm in the wrong time zone. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as renewable energy, uh, resilience, robust, whatever they want to call it, uh, why does the taxpayer always have to pay for these projects? Why can't they uh, team up with the private? venture capitalists well i mean they are right um i i I think they are but there's always public investment in this uh in this type of stuff there's a lot of like development that needed to happen on the port uh in particular um obviously there was i mean and it pays off because you know investments in 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 uh in public investments in energy companies 
I think helps galvanize those industries. Uh, Obama's uh, stimulus bill in 2009, I think, is by and large the thing singularly most responsible for um, getting the uh, you know getting solar farms and the solar industry off the ground, and I think that's yeah. been largely beneficial for people. You know what my concern is, because uh, you know we all care about our planet. You know uh, these big wind turbines and all the wire they have to run, and they're going to tear up the the seafloor, the coral reefs. You know, the sea life, the whales, the dolphins, the lobsters and shellfish, you know, that's going to affect uh, uh, marine life. Yeah, so I, I know there's there's some tension. You know, there's some tension between the uh, the fishing communities and offshore wind. I think they're I think they're going to work that out. There, you know, the same thing happened in in the uh, in the Nordic countries, and I, I know they've they've come to an agreement as well. And in Europe. Um, you know, what, what I would say to that is, you know, what it also is, uh, you know, what's harmful to the marine life as well is the continued, you know, rising in temperatures of, of, uh, of the ocean. And, uh, you know, and I had Mayor Mitchell on, this is when I had my Saturday show a couple of years ago, he had basically said, you know, they're, they're catching, you know, they're catching, uh, fish off the coast of the, uh, you know, off the coast, uh, off the Northeast coast that they've been catching down in Florida. Right. So uh, that are usually, uh, you know, have uh, inhabit uh, habitat uh, habitate Florida. So it's you know, it's a necess. It'll it'll probably be a necessary compromise uh, if if one needs you know there one needs to be made. But remember, I had John Bullard on. I had John Bullard on actually, and he talked. Let me just ask you, Marcus. You know, you're talking about ecosystems, you know, in the ocean. But uh, uh, I mean, how warm are we talking here? I mean, if you go and and swim in, uh, you know, the beach there, uh, you're going to be hot? I mean, I'm pretty sure the water's cold. And so yeah, what are we what's talking cold temperatures? for? I mean, what's we're cold talking for? about 20, 30 degrees, or we're talking, what, one degree difference? Well, I mean, you know, every year is the hottest year on record, and what's cold for you and me as human beings um, might not is probably or what's cold or warm for you and me as human beings is very different, obviously, from the, what's cold for uh, different organisms. One, especially ones that are you know uh, that live underwater. Yeah, well, let me just say one more thing in closing. You know, the sure. great white sharks, and typically, I mean, they're out in California and in Florida, but believe it or not, uh, they're coming up in the cold waters. So it's yeah. not about global warming. Maybe it's about global cooling. Well, yeah, I mean, people say that about what's going on in Texas, too. And it's like, oh, well, it's cold in Texas. And it's like it's all part of these abnormalities in our, you know, in, in our in our weather patterns are all part of the issue. Um, and the things that we're seeing now aren't like, oh, this is what we get to, you know, this is what we're going to, you know, this is what we get to expect if we don't do something about climate change. It's already here and it's already being pretty, it's already pretty destructive. So um, obviously we have to do something about it. Climate change is just that, Marcus. You get changes all the time. We got four seasons here. Yeah, Yeah, I think that might be. If you were to tell me, Marcus, that you only have three seasons and we lost spring. Then I would say to you, Marcus. Yeah, you're right. I know the temperature's changing. Sure, I think the um, I think that's maybe an oversimplification uh, of the issue. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably an oversimplification of the issue. I mean, we're still having seasons, but you know, it's been unseasonably warm, wouldn't you say? What now? Yeah. It's still chilly. Believe me, when I oh, go it's out cold, there, right? but it's it's all it's all relative. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I'm not out in Bermuda shorts, if you know what I mean. Hey, hey listen, I got another call on the line. I got to get all to right, it. I appreciate it's you calling. Good talking to you, Marcus. Likewise, thank you. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening.
Good evening. Hey. Marcus. What's up? That gentleman is 100% right. He said just about everything I would say. Uh, there's only one other thing. Um, do you know how many gallons of oil it takes for one of those windmills? No, I don't. Do you? 90 gallons. So here's the and thing. It's, got, it's synthetic oil. It has to be changed once a year. Yeah, what but. What happens? Huh? Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm just saying just because something might use oil as a source of power doesn't mean it's not, um, you know, uh, more. It doesn't mean it won't. It can't ameliorate, um, you know, our overdependence on oil. Right. You know, like if it's OK, if we use X amount of gallons for this, X amount of gallons for that, it's probably better to try to use that to fuel an alternative, you know, get more bang for your buck in terms of the the the, the source you're using for that energy. I get you. Um, I just don't get it. You know, it's the ecosystem. Uh, they they're not looking into that. Where uh, fish uh, and uh, especially um, the larger fish, they communicate by sound. And these windmills, the great big ones that they're going to put out there, they make they make noise. Yeah, you think that's going to be good for the? Ecosystem? Yeah, I, I think I think there's probably. Listen, I'm not I'm not entirely sure about that uh, in terms of like what the sound of the windmills has to uh, affects um, you know the how the um, you know how the how the uh, aqua life navigates the waters. Mm-hmm. But again, I think we're we're looking at trying to make. Uh, compromises um, in certain areas to try to move forward from where we're at now, which is, you know, the the path that we're at without alternative energy is not environmentally or economically sustainable. Uh, I'm 85 years old. Uh, I'll be 86 in in June. Uh, I remember at least 75 years because I walked to school, uh, St. Joe's School, I was here about two or three miles from my mother's house. And the weather was about the same as now. I remember a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, about 45 years ago, my brother bought a pickup truck and a plow. He was a fisherman. I said, what what'd you do that for? He said, because I'm going to plow snow this winter. I don't want to go fishing. It's too rough out there in the winter. And guess what? We had a dusting of snow that winter. That's it. Just a little dust of snow. The following winter, we had a wicked winter. And the following, the winter after that. I, I, I understand. I understand what you're saying. You're saying like patterns. It's cyclical. It'll come back to normal. Yeah. But we're just not seeing that right now. So, um, I mean, even if we've got a snowstorm tomorrow, uh, it doesn't change the fact that every year um, has been the hottest year on record for decades. Okay, one other thing. Uh, How do you rate President Biden? Compared to who? Uh, Compared to Trump, Uh, I... Let's give him a mark. Let's give him a mark from... uh, Compared to Trump, I rate him favorably. Compared to Obama, I actually rate him uh, probably more favorably, too. Uh, oh my God! Presidents in our lifetime, uh, pretty good, but I don't think there's been many good ones. And let's say my lifetime, and presidents uh, in my lifetime, because well, I'm, I'm my 33. Lifetime, I I've seen some good presidents. Uh, matter of fact, Reagan. 
yeah. and Trump. Well, I'm going to disagree with you that Reagan and Trump are, are good presidents. But, Bob, i got to take this break. I appreciate you calling me. Okay. All right, bye. Thank you. All right, I see some calls on the line. I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back. New Bedford's News Talk Station. 508 is taking the program. Uh, in a little bit, I'm going to play an audio clip, too, of just a brief conversation I had with um, Senator Montigny about where the client, where those, where these investments, uh, these state investments, where he thinks they need to go, and I thought it was really interesting. But let's uh, let's go back to the phones, and we'll also take your messages on the app chat as well. Good evening. You're live. Hi. Hey, Shawnee. What's up? Oh, you are so <laughs> My guess. Um, I was listening to Howie Carr about the, uh, a man came on about these windmills, mm-hmm. and he said that um, um, we're not going to have, sometimes they change the pots and you don't have the tools to change them, and he was like on the negative side of them. I listened to both pros and cons on it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a little confused on it myself, and um the job thing sounds very good. You know what I mean? That yeah. sounds real nice. Yeah, there's a jobs fair. I mean, Vineyard Wind had a, a jobs fair uh, last time uh, over in the in the fall. There was uh, hundreds of people that showed up. They were actually over the over capacity. They they needed to move to a new facility to to uh, facilitate the number of people that typically show up. And and uh, I mean, I think. You know, at the very least, there's an opportunity for people to, um, you know, make a career. Yeah, sounds like that's good, but I don't know. I'm confused about the whole thing. Whatever. Um, one other question, because I don't know if you have the information, because Phil didn't feel good this morning. There's a, there's going to be um, a, a something at the Cape Verdean Church coming up, and oh, I wanted to know yeah. if you knew uh, Is it a well away? Yeah. 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 So I actually got a press release from the Mitchell's office. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because the guy who's speaking, Rasan Hall, I'm having him on on Friday. Uh, he's he was a candidate for DA. I had him on for a debate uh, uh, a while back, but uh, it is uh, the yeah the Martin Luther King uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Community Program that is three to four thirty at um, uh, Our Lady of the Assumption Church at forty seven South Sixth Street. On Martha's uh, on the day to Martin Luther King. No, it's the day before, so it's Sunday the fifteenth. Okay, good. Let me, just tell me the time again, okay, Marcus? Sure. That's uh, three p.m. to four thirty p.m. Alrighty, I'll mark it down. All right, thank you. You have a great night. I'll be listening. You as well. Thank you very much. So, uh, yeah, actually. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Rasan Hall, who was a candidate for DA, he ran against uh, Tim Cruz um, unsuccessfully. But Rasan Hall, uh, I, I really enjoy. I had an hour long interview with him when he was a candidate. I had Tim, him and Tim Cruz in for a debate. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think he's a pretty uh, fascinating guy. So he's speaking in New Bedford at that uh, Our Lady. Um, uh, uh, the Our Lady of Assumption Church on 47 South 6th Street for the uh, MLK uh, community program. And so I, I reached out to him. I gave him a call today, asked him if he wanted to join me to just sort of preview what he's going to talk about and just talk about what he's been doing uh, after the campaign. He, you know, he was part of Andrea Campbell's transition team along with our uh, our friend Scott Lang. And uh, so I'm looking forward to talking with him. He's a a very, uh, like I said, a very interesting person. And of course, I got to get uh, D.A. Cruz back on the program, too. We had him on after he got reelected, and he talked about all the stuff that he, um, you know, he has planned, the work that he plans to continue and that he's been reelected. So we'll um, we'll keep that conversation going forward. But, yeah, Rasan Hall, Friday at 7, he's going to preview that speech. So if you're interested uh, and you want to just, you know, 
very sonorous voice uh, Rasan has. But um, 508-996-0500. Listen, I see some calls on the line. I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back. 1420 WBSM, where freedom of speech lives. Hi, this is Zach. One's on the left, left, the other on the right. Right. But they're both ready to call it right down the middle. More of Marcus and Chris on South Coast tonight here on WBSM. Good evening. Um, so I'm going to play a clip for from Senator Montigny in a minute, but let's go back to the phones. Good evening. I'm with you, Marcus. Yep. Uh, for those global warming deniers, uh, think about this. Where do you go ice skating in in, in, the, in the region? On what lake? Yeah. There's no more ice skating. There's no more ice. Yeah. The planet's getting warmer and more. It's, uh, the ice. There's no ice Absolutely. skating anymore. <laughs> right. Ancient history. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call. Yeah, no, it's it's. I mean, I think it's become a very apparent problem. Like like we said, all of the 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 droughts, the wildfires, these these um, you know catastrophes, the floodings. It's all, you know, like I said, it's all like it's arrived, right? It's not like this is what we can expect if we don't do something. It's like it's already here. So how can we? You know, how can we try to move forward and, and, and stave off this, you know, crisis as much as we can? Um, I did want to play a clip from Senator Montigny uh, when we talked earlier because he had said something interesting. He believes, you know, because the state's obviously going to invest money in this. They've invested some money in this. He believes that New Bedford should get the majority of the investment. And so uh, this is the conversation I had with him on that. So I'm going to play that uh, for you. He, he, had, he had said this directly to, to Healy and Driscoll during the, the roundtable. So everybody says this, right? There's 351 communities, there's 40 senators that represent a region across the state. Everyone thinks they have a special case. The difference is we've historically had chips on our shoulder, which is why we're elected. They ele- the, our constituents elect us to go up there and say, we're tired of this Boston-centric baloney. So here we are in this interesting nexus between the environment and the economy where we have an absolute advantage. Just as we lit the world historically with the whaling industry, we have the best facilities in this region. We have a hundred million dollar wind state facility. We have a port right on Buzzards Bay. We have the wind, we have the workforce. So we're now saying don't spread the wealth evenly because that's always what happens on Beacon Hill because of politics. It's the same as Washington. Everybody wants their peace, right? Look at the money wasted in the defense industry because we got to please every congressman and woman and every senator. We're saying if you want to do as you said, Governor, which is to maximize the potential, you have to pick regions that actually are experts. And through the university, we're clearly an expert on this connection of economic development and the environment, both in wind and on the water. I mean, think of some of the stuff on, you know, in the, in the wave technology. And think of, you know, cleaning the oceans. It's all a pathway through UMass Dartmouth straight into New Bedford. So that was um, that was Senator Mark, Mark Montigny. I'd, I'd uh, asked him, you know, when he we'd, when he had said that to Healy and Driscoll, I'd asked him to um, to, you know, just sort of speak to me. Uh, afterwards uh, on the record about, you know, exactly what his position is on that. And I think he's got a pretty good point that, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be, 
funding coming from the state. And obviously, you know, people want to, everybody talks about regional equity and all of that. But when you've got an area in particular that New Bedford or the great, the South Coast in general seems to be excelling at, which is obviously, you know, like you said, um, uh, alternative energy, marine tech, uh, you know, the marine industry, uh, marine industries in general. Uh, then New Bedford does need to get the lion's share of that investment. And you know what was interesting afterwards was a reporter had asked Healy when we were in the scrum over there, uh, what, what, um, what she thought about Montigny's comments. You know, do you think this region should get more? Because obviously Kim Driscoll's the mayor of Salem. Salem's a major player in offshore wind, uh, uh, in the in, in the manufacturing of the uh, offshore wind parts and all of that. But Healy had said basically, yeah, I think, you know, when we put together the budget, which they should be doing soon, um, when we put together the budget, we're going to be looking at uh, where we can make those investments work, right, where we can get the most bang for our buck. And obviously, you know, some regions are going to be doing more in particular areas than others. So I, she goes, I could see a scenario in which one region gets more than the other uh, others do uh, with respect to, you know, uh, investments in alternative energy and climate. So I thought that was good advocacy on behalf of, of Senator Montigny um, in that uh, in that roundtable. And I thought his uh, his you know, I thought he was I think he's absolutely right. And I think furthermore that the governor uh, seems to at least in some part agree she didn't rule it out. Right. She could have said, no, you know, we're really committed to regional equity and all that other stuff, which is important. You know, you want to every region's got their own thing. But when she you know, she was basically saying, yeah, there's there's certain areas in which. You know, there's going to be like the South Coast is going to be doing more with this. And so they, they get more of that investment in climate funding and all of that. So um, I think, you know, we talked about the private investment and the development and the jobs that are available. There'll also be some uh, some significant public investment, I think, from the Healy Judicial Administration. I actually um, Healy's press secretary told me they may be back next week. I don't know if they will be. Obviously, their schedules change and all that. And she's you know just became the governor. But they may be back next week, which I think is is really outstanding for the uh for the region that they're that they're commit this committed this early all right i'm gonna take a break uh i'll be right back 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening or we can take your messages on the wbsm app chat if you want to hear everything on faro 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening Adam Bass, a uh, new contributor at WBSM. He's at the appointments and briefings meeting. Remember, uh, we had Councilor Carney on yesterday to talk about the walkout when uh, Burgo and Pereira had walked out in protest uh, to kill a quorum in a meeting where Burgo thought Naomi Carney had scheduled uh, the meeting on purpose uh, at an inconvenient time so fewer counselors could be there and they could j- and they could jam up a couple appointments. Naomi gave her side of the story. I thought she was it was very, you know, I you know I thought she was. Pretty straightforward on it, and um, uh, we'll see how the meeting goes tonight. I think they expect to go. There's nine appointments. There's one uh, building demolition hearing, and um, Adam uh, Bask uh, expects to. Uh, you know, I think he said around eight eight thirty. Could take longer. I don't know. Those those meetings do take a long time. So we'll see uh, how that goes. Um, and uh, if you can join us, you can join us. If not, I can. You know. We can still talk. We can still talk at 508-996-0500. That's how you can join me this evening. But there's a lot of stuff happening on the council for sure. 
You know, there's the pay raise is, uh, issue. The vote, I believe, is Thursday to finalize that. I think there's some counselors who have said pu- there are some counselors who have said publicly, some who haven't said publicly, but I think have hinted towards reconsidering those pay raise votes in light of some public dissatisfaction with how that was all handled. Uh, I think warranted public public dissatisfaction. Uh, by the way, so the few counselors that have agreed to go on the record have have said that, um, and we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that that shakes out. That vote, I believe, is Thursday. Tonight's the appointments and briefings vote. So.